Hey, welcome to the latest episode of Shit We Don't Talk About, the podcast that takes on topics that need more open and honest discussion, which means some of these topics are triggering. So please take care when listening and I'll always give you a trigger warning. For instance, here's one. Every episode contains swear words. You've been warned. Make sure to check out the show notes, which include an accessibility transcript of the podcast and all of the links for our guests at shitwedonttalkaboutpodcast.com. My guest today is Lauren Sanders, author of the book, Empathy is Not a Weakness. In this episode, we discuss the concept of using empathy to be a better leader. Sounds like an oxymoron, right? But as Lauren points out, companies in which people feel seen and heard tend to be highly successful. Go figure. As usual, we dive deep on this one, so tune in. It gets good. Here we go. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Mia. How are you? I'm excited to talk to you. I am excited to talk to you as well. So folks, as you may have heard me say in the intro, so Lauren is from my hometown and then she wrote this book. I'm holding it up even though it's sound only right now. Empathy is not a weakness and other stories from the edge. We're going to dive into that because uh, it is definitely something we, we, it's shit we talk about, but not in the right way, right? Agree, 100%. So I love that one way we're going to start into this is the why now on this book, because it is being discussed, I think also people get empathy and empathic uh, mixed up, don't you think? And empath and empathic mixed up. Agree. There's a lot of stuff to unpack there. The, the why did I write the book is because there's a message that needs to be out and it needs to be out now. Uh, why now is because I keep on coming across things that say, Leaders need to be more empathetic. People need to be more empathetic. Everybody needs to be more empathetic. And there's research out there showing things like four and seven CEOs think that they are more empathetic post COVID dot, dot, dot. One in six employees agrees. That's staggering to me. I think that's from business over trying to remember where all my stats are coming from. Other things like 68% of CEOs fear that they'll be seen as weak if they are empathetic. Those are the reasons why we need to talk about this now and the reasons why we need to talk about how empathy isn't a weakness. It's actually a superpower. And nobody is telling people how to do it. And my book really tells you, here's a framework. And I know it works because I used to be a terrible person and it worked for me. A terrible person in leadership. I want to be clear on that. And this is what I wanted to point out as well, too. So currently you are, you know, you're running in the leadership world. Tell us what your title is. Um, I am actually a senior manager of learning development and performance at a Fortune 4 company. Which I love, too. So, you know, Lauren's been steeped in this. And when you read the book, and I'll put all the links in here in the show notes as well, too, uh, you are speaking from experience, like you said, of, of being a terrible person and and reading the book. This is what I love, too. You really do break down of like, here's what I thought. Uh, ego obviously comes into this a ton. And I mentioned to you before we started recording that I've been in you know, I've, I've been out of the corporate world for quite a long time and on my, on my own, 
I would love to be, as I, I like to tell people, I would love to be an entrepreneur with a paycheck and health insurance. However, I do know that I make a terrible employee at times, so I'm way too much on my own. But I love that this book not only talks about leadership, obviously, in the corporate world of what it's uh, really needed, as well as what things you can apply in your personal life, too. I think it makes you better overall. Being empathetic isn't just about work. It's about life in general. It's about being human. It's about seeing other people as human beings. I looked up and I think you actually, and this is what I, I love too. You have a lot of examples. So I appreciate that too. I have a lot, you have a lot of sources and, and you mentioned earlier too, is that you're somebody that's super curious and like, nah, I got to prove that to myself. I need to know that. I, I need to do my own research on that, which I think is really lacking a lot when people make their decisions on how they stand in the world in the world is let me, let me go see if that's actually true. Right. Empirical. Probably the biggest thing that I'm bothered by right now in the world of social media is virtue signaling. Virtuous, at, virtue signaling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Look at, <laughs> how, look at how virtuous I am because I believe X, Y, Z. And I think this is a really important topic to talk about, but I don't put my time or my money or volunteer or do anything help support whatever the thing is that's virtue signaling if you believe in it strongly enough be an advocate more in more than just voice practice it get to know people who are going through it and living it help people wherever you can just be a human being that helps other human beings and be a part of a community that ties into the actual description of what empathy means, the desire to be seen, heard, and have our needs responded to. And virtual, virtue signaling cannot be less of a, or, or, or more of an opposite of that too. I, I will say, and if you want another uh, thing thing to do, folks, as you're listening to this is also, as you're watching that, and, and I see that a lot with posting is, okay, that sounds great. You got, you, you got me all on an emotional stir, but you've given me absolutely no practical application to this besides just being upset about it. Nothing to, uh, nothing to donate to or to point to, or, and Hey, if you're thinking this, then find out who your local sheriff is or find out who your local school board is and, you know, practical applications. So thank you for that, because that is a rant I get on, uh, get on often, but again, empathy, the desire to be heard, seen, and have our needs responded to. And that is, that is not something I think of at all. Like, in, in fact, like empathy in leadership sounds like an oxymoron to me. <laughs> Which is why a lot of people consider it a weakness. Yeah. Before we dig too deep in that, I still want to respond to your question about empath and empathy. Yes, please. So there are people in this world that are super empathic, which means they don't just come alongside people and understand and see perspective, but they actually take on those feelings. It's an energy thing, right? So they might actually feel what the other person is feeling in a way that is not the same as compassion. I'm talking about real energy that can drain an empathic human being. So part of having empathy is having empathy for yourself if you are an empath knowing that and creating really good boundaries or tools for yourself so that you're not feeling responsible for somebody else's energy. And I, I have to tell you, I had a, a real little brainstormer reality check with, because I am an empath, uh, 
empathy can't or being that what you talked about in this book of uh, ways you can be more let me say have empathetic behaviors I actually haven't been like this as much because I got so drained. So this was good for me as a reminder to go, okay, take care of your energy. And now you can be, have more em empathetic behaviors towards others, either in your business or your personal life. So I have to give you kudos for that too. And thank you for explaining that because we as empaths can get like, oh, fuck this shit. I can't, I can't anymore. It's too much. And there's your first swear words for the show, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy. I think getting to that point, though, everybody needs that oh shit moment in their life, whether they're empathetic or not, whether they're an empath or not. Mm -hmm. You have to know this is time for me to make a change. And until you get to that crap, this is not good. This is not what I want. How did I get here? And you kind of look around and a little bit of confusion. That's the beginning, friends, of starting to make changes. Self-awareness is the beginning of changing anything and everything, whether it's empathy, whether it is some other goal that you have. That's what matters. Just take control of your own energy in that moment. And you use, uh, again, in the book, you use empathy as an acronym I love. And so activating self-awareness was was really, really a good a good chapter for me as well. And we'll dive into that in a second, but back on that of why it, it is seen as an oxymoron of empathy and leadership. Talk more about that as a weakness. When people say empathy and leadership together, empathy is often thought of as kindness and it's not the same thing. Kindness and empathy might go hand in hand. They might be close friends, but it's not the same thing. And I'll give you a very solid example. Empathy is not not giving somebody feedback because you're afraid of how they're going to respond to it. Empathy is the way that you give somebody feedback, not what we call drive by feedback, where I give you 10 reasons why you're driving me crazy and I just keep on going and act like it never happened. It is it is about here's what happened and this is what the impact of that is. And how can I come alongside you and help you get to where you need to be? And then you have to allow that other person to make a choice about whether or not they're going to take the steps that they need to be successful. And sometimes they don't want to and they don't care. And other times they do. But it's about how you're delivering the feedback. It's about that, not about not giving the feedback mm. or only giving positive feedback. It is empathetic to give people corrective feedback and help them achieve more. And yeah, the second question people usually ask me when I say that is, well, what about when it becomes ruinous and it's a horrible thing, empathy? And what I usually tell them is um, ruinous empathy comes in when you've got somebody who can use empathy to draw people in, into their circle, teaming with them, and then do terrible things to them. So empathy can be used for good or it can be used for evil and you have to be completely vigilant about what's happening in that moment to you. And that's where your energy comes in. I always tell my kids fall in love with somebody who you can't live without, not somebody you can live with. The minute you mm. start excuses for your partner, something is not right. And you should investigate that. Lucky kids. God, I love that advice. And ruinous empathy sounds like a weapon of a narcissistic person. It can be. 
-hmm. What's interesting is if you look at countries who are a little bit more violent than the United States, you might think that their soldiers have zero empathy at all because they can just walk in and just massacre an entire family without thinking about it. But the reality is those same soldiers are very empathetic, but it's an in-group thing, right? They're empathetic to their in-group, but not to anything outside their group. And we as humans tend to do that as well. So we might think we're super empathetic because we have empathy for the group of people that we associate with on a regular basis, but then we may have lower tolerance for people outside of our own group. And that's a whole other thing to dig into for an entire podcast probably. Oh. On God, it's so good. There's just so many little nuggets like ruinous empathy. I hadn't even heard that before. And I, I, I do think as far as with, with leadership, you know, being able to look at that and having those difficult conversations that uh, tying back the, what you were saying before too, is definitely in the toxic positivity space as well too. And I heard you say on a, a previous interview, and I know you talk about it in the book about constructive criticism and then, you know, that it starts with, you know, construct. Um, and that me being in the construction world too, I found that such a fascinating way to describe it. Because if you just hear that in, in kind of the drive-by sort of way, like I hear, can I give you some constructive criticism? I just, I, er, I'm peeling out. I'm like, fuck, no, you can't. <laughs> but I, I, I love that. Uh, I love that, that emotional intelligence is becoming a buzz phrase. And uh, I'm, I'm all for people even thinking about emotional intelligence when it comes to this topic as well. I'm a huge fan of emotional intelligence I and I've probably read more than a lot of people on the topic because empathy fits so well into some of that emotional quotient that fits into emotional intelligence. And one of my favorite quotes of all time is Plato's. And the quote goes like this, the worst of all deceptions is self-deception until you recognize who you are and where you are and what you're actually doing and are willing to face it, you're never going to change. And I have a lot of people ask me about leaders they've worked with or friends that are in their friend group who just are constantly not self-aware. Hmm. And the reality is until they're willing to become self-aware, Nothing is, there's nothing you can do to make somebody else self-aware. This is about you friends. It's about what you can do for yourself. It's about protecting yourself. It's about knowing where you are and what you can do to flex in one way or another. But if you are with somebody who's not self-aware and they are damaging your psyche, that is, this is permission from me right now to get out of that. Yeah. And it, it, it's messy. People do not do not have to fool don't do not be fooled by the judgment of why didn't they and it should be easy. That that is definitely not something, especially if you've been steeped in that or you come from, you know, being somebody who what's I'm trying to think what the phrase is. If if you're somebody who's who takes on a lot, like the empathic type of thing, or you know, you're somebody that that will just kind of get along to go along. That is not easy at all. It is so sneaky. And I love another quote that you have that's good leaders have the ability to change their minds when presented with new information. And you can take that word leaders and just apply it to all of us too. It, it change your minds when presented with new information. I'd say that's one of the most difficult things going on in just mainstream world right now is Oh, here's some new information. Let me let me try and you know because they always say like, oh, that really changed my mind on that social media post. Said no one ever, right? 
agree. And what's interesting is people in general, they want accountability. They want people to be held accountable. But a lot of times we want everybody else to be held accountable, but we don't want to be held accountable. So if you're over here thinking, okay, I know all these people who aren't self-aware, maybe it's time to take a look at yourself. Maybe you are exhausted. Maybe you're hangry. Maybe a nap. <laughs> if we're blaming everybody else for everything else, that's a good indicator that we aren't self-aware, that we're taking on this victim mentality and feeling like everything happens to us. Those are all indicators that we may need to take a deeper look inside. Oh, that's that one hurt. <laughs> No, more of like I feel seen on that because I do. I was thinking that when I'm reading this, if I'm kind of going through this, I've, I've been working with a friend of mine on some PR ideas and rebranding ideas for my multiple businesses, and it's so I've done a lot of, as she likes to call it, navel gazing. <laughs> and so you really do start to see this pattern of things. And so I've literally been sitting and soaking in it a little bit as the uh, old. Palm Olive commercials was used to say, "You're soaking in it, Madge." Uh, <laughs> oh yes, soaking. I remember that one. <laughs> Tell me you're in your fifties without telling me you're in your fifties, ladies and gentlemen and, and folks. Uh, but I I do feel like that is such a great thing to just be like, "Oh, wait a second. And you do give a lot of examples of that of people, and and you had such a gracious leader that helped you uh, work through that in several different ways of, of being in a in high level positions where you were definitely in that kind of hustle culture, lean in type of thing. And um, did you have anything else you wanted to add to that? Because I was going to go in a different direction real quick, but I wanted to give you an opportunity because you have so many good little bon mots that you have to say. Oh, no, I want to totally follow your trail. Okay, good. Because I'm all over the place because I'm so excited with all this. I, I do. Um, I know you mentioned uh, we, about uh, blind spots, which I thought was really interesting. That's also... Um, that's actually the first the first point. So we're going to jump around a little bit of, you know, having uh, these these different uh, blind spots in your perception. Invisible gorilla, I was like fascinated with. You also talked about incarceration bias because you use so many different stories, uh, which I which I love, too. And then, of course, um, talking about Minda Hartz and the memo memo. I was so ex excited that you you brought that up too, because I think that that's a, that's a blind spot too, is not being able to see, oh my gosh, it's not everybody else. It's the problem. It's me. Hi. <laughs> that book was just game changing for me because it helped me recognize more of my bias. Um, With Minda another, Hearts. Mm -hmm. yeah, another one that I read recently and I was lucky enough to actually connect with the author leader. Um, her name is Francine Parham and she wrote a book called Please Sit Over There. And there were two things that really connected with me in her book. She talks about um, getting ready for her first day of work as a SVP of HR in a Fortune 500 company. And she's got her dress on point, her hose are on point, her shoes are on point. And she walks into the organization, goes up to the, rep, to the registration desk to check in. Mm -hmm. And the receptionist looks at her and says, please sit over there. And I probably neglected to tell you that she's a black woman. So, I knew she was just from that comment. That <laughs> over there. And then right. it goes into the ruminations that are kind of going on in our brain of 
what she should have said. That was something that resonated with me about how quickly do we make judgments about people we don't even know. Mm -hmm. And you don't know who you're talking to. You don't know their story. You don't know why they're here. Mm -hmm. You don't know what they're doing. And until we get curious and ask about people, we can't make, make any connections. We can't know what is going on. And people have stories. I mean, they're all throughout the book, but people are so multifaceted and things that you might say, words matter. Mm-hmm. And you might not remember the words that you used, but some of them stay for a long time with people. I mean, honestly, Mia, I can think of something that somebody said to me in kindergarten that has stuck with me my entire life. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll I'll share it with you. And I've never shared this with anybody before. So this has been an interesting moment. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my kindergarten classmates finding out that my family was Jewish told me I killed his father. Wow. Meaning so Jesus. Good. Yeah. And um, I have never forgotten that. And I'm how old now? I was five years old at the time. But that was just earth shattering so for me. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's so powerful. And I think it's it's great to acknowledge that as well, too. Uh, one, to, to sit with your own uh, pain of that. That was so real for you. And that's not something to ever go, well, I was only five years old and this and that. Like, that is such a powerful thing. And then as part of what you talk about in this book is turning it around to saying, okay, now how am I affecting people when I see how powerfully those words got to me. And this is what I loved before I, as I started the book and then started getting into it and all of this ties into inclusivity. And part of that inclusivity is being, as being uncomfortable with the unfamiliar, which is what we're talking about of like making assumptions about people or just saying, well, that's different than me. And I, I do love that you said, uh, hiring people just like us or even being around people like us just duplicates the things we do not do well. Why would you want to duplicate your weaknesses? And when you think people don't see it as a weakness though. And that's, that's part of this awareness. When you think that you want to respond a certain way, I'll just encourage everybody pause for a minute and think about what you're going to say before it just comes out and think, is this going to be helpful to anybody? Mm-hmm. How would I feel if somebody said this to me? Mm-hmm. Consider asking questions instead of making judgments. Right. And questions not like, so where are you really from? <laughs> Which is what people do like when they're just were asking people to to clarify why they deserve to be there. That that says, please sit over there. I'm really gonna check that book out. That's just that's so incredibly powerful. I really do love that. I was thinking about that even with inclusivity and uh, I had a, a conversation with a with a really close loved one, not to be named, and we talked about uh, their, I was surprised at their their discomfort at, at uh, pronouns. And I said, okay, so first of all, how often is somebody coming to you and really taking you to the woodshed about using the wrong pronoun? Has it happened or are you just reading about it? You're just reading about it, right? Um, 
most people are, are kind about it. And even if they're not, that's okay too. If they're just frustrated, I said, but second of all, why would you want to be on the side of not doing something that's unfamiliar to you to make someone else feel comfortable? And it really got through to them. And I was really excited. I love that. I love that so much. Thank you. That's high praise from you because I'm loving everything that you're telling me as well too. So any other thoughts on this? Cause I've just jumped around so much and you give so you give so much uh, data and information and things to point to as well in your book, which I absolutely love as, as, as evidence of what you're trying to get people to be aware of. I'll, I'll just close you with this. The book tells stories and the stories are about people who were treated really terribly. Mm -hmm. And the story is also about leaders who were really terrible and how they overcame it. So if you're somebody who doesn't think that you're high on the empathy scale, I want to leave you with a thought that empathy is not really a skill. It's a practice. And if you're not practicing it, you are getting worse. It's something you have to practice every day. Reflect at the end of every day. Think about what you did well, what you could do better. It, it matters. And if you're somebody who's in a situation where you're being treated poorly and it's very toxic, I want you to know there's hope. I love that. It's not too late to start if you, yeah. I mean, you, ha you had to get to that too of like, okay, I've been this kind of leader for a while. Good Kudos on you. You didn't give the blanket. I'm sorry if somebody was hurt by what I did. Like you did not do that. I apologize in a major way for the dust that I left in my path when I was not doing great things as a leader mm, and not I, caring for people. And I, some of them I've gotten to apologize to, <laughs> some okay. of them I haven't, but I will be truly sorry for the rest of my life for some of the things that I did or said to people when I was completely ignorant and also single without children and uh, disparaging parents for having life outside of work. Yes. And I think that is a, a really great point to, to point out of women, our age, we were really taught a certain way to, to be in business, which was completely the masculine way without any femininity or uh, not femininity, but any kind of uh, that, more of the the feminine type of way too, which was what empathy gets confused with. It's not uh, a male female. It's this balance of masculine and feminine, which I love. And again, empathy. It may don't feel badly. It's it's not necessarily natural, but it's something you can work on. So so Lauren, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you, me. I appreciate you too, and all of the things that you raised to the surface in your podcast. I'm just grateful for you. I'm grateful for you as well, too, honey. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Okay, we thought we were done, but Lauren told a fun, juicy little story right after we ended the recording. So here we go. So I recently moved from Illinois to Iowa, and I had the opportunity to hear a political candidate speak. And there were some men and women in the room and I noticed that when women asked questions that the response was given only to the men in the room. So if a woman was with her husband, the candidate would then respond to just the husband, even though the woman asked the question. And I spoke to him 
a little bit about it afterwards and he didn't recognize that he was doing that. So that was an aha moment for him. Mm -hmm. But over time, and as I got to know this person as a human being, I realized that there's a lot of difference in generational ideas about how to address somebody of the opposite gender. And what he was doing was what he thought was being respectful to the husband by not necessarily speaking directly to the wife, but trying to engage the husband in the conversation too. And had I not asked that question, I probably would have walked away with a very different picture of this person as a human being and probably would have remained in my anger at the misogyny of the situation. But it, it, it's good to ask questions. Otherwise, we really don't know. We don't. And t when you told me that story, I was in the roundhouse kick mode of like, what? And, and I also love that this is an evangelical man in his 60s who's a different political party than you. And yes. so giving that a chance is now giving you an opportunity to also keep that conversation going. So thank you for adding that, Lauren. I appreciate it. I love that story. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You can check out the show notes and guest links at shitwedonttalkaboutpodcast.com. If you like this episode, please subscribe and give it a like or leave a review, especially if it's a good one. See you next time. Bye.